Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Directive Stories. We have a great physician executive and physician leader today with us. And I am more than excited to present Dr. Jackson to you all. Like you all know, we have been bringing the stories of great clinicians and great healthcare leaders on our podcast or directives platform so that our network of clinicians and other hospitals out there are able to learn from the experiences these leaders have had in their professional careers especially in the last 10 to 12 months given uh, the pandemic so again very excited to present to you all uh, dr jackson um dr brent jackson is the vp chief medical officer at uh, dignity health mercy general hospital he's a great physician ex executive experienced in the uh, experienced leader in the areas of pandemic management organizational change quality process improvement utilization management you name it he has been there he's a general surgeon who has become a physician leader and an administrative leader like we all know we need more clinicians becoming leaders in the healthcare administration dr jackson is a great example of that um and you know he's also a musician so it, it, you know there are a few things that i would love to delve in in that area as well So without much further ado um all of our audience please tune in please focus it's going to be a great show today i present to you all dr brent jackson dr jackson thank you for spending time with us today like you know we discussed this is for the network of clinicians that we have on our platform for them to learn from experiences uh with leaders like you so i may not have done great justice to your profile so please take the next 2 minutes to please tell us about yourself your current leadership role and uh, you know your experiences so far and then we'll go from there well thank you so much for having me on um i appreciate the introduction and you covered quite well actually i think the only thing that i would really add is that all of those things that you mentioned i was experienced in i think most people who are in my role have experienced the same thing and probably experienced various levels of success over the last year during this covid-19 pandemic um that has been a challenge it's been a steep learning curve as fauci put it this was like flying a plane while you're building it mm mm no that's that's well said absolutely i think uh, for most people it did feel like that but i'll tell you for sure you know with great leaders great healthcare workers on the front line i think most people still felt safe even though it was more like flying the plane as you build it so thank you for all that you do um, in your everyday's work and your healthcare leadership dr jackson um we from direct chefs have always thanked and have always been at the forefront of making sure our healthcare workers and frontline workers and healthcare leaders are appreciated more than what they actually do so thank you for that uh, so that brings me to the question what inspired you to choose healthcare as your profession like probably going back years what what was the inspiration so i was encouraged by my grandparents at a very young age to um choose a profession like healthcare as i as i grew i came from fairly humble beginnings and my grandparents wanted more for me than you know my other fam my the rest of my family had and that encouragement combined with when i first took biology as a ninth grader mm. it was a world of fascination for me 
And I always excelled in the sciences anyway, but biology specifically really, really intrigued me. And it showed, led me to major in biochemistry and cell biology as an undergraduate. And the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to learn about it. And then medical school became an obvious choice at that point. And also a desire to help people. Um, and you put all those, put those two things together and it becomes a powerful combination as far as a motivator goes. That's a great point. I think quest for scientific knowledge, quest for biology and the desire to help people put them two together. It's a great combination. That is very well said. Absolutely. I, um, so as you know, you pursued your medical career and then now you're actually a physician leader, you're an administrative leader. How does, is that a big transition, Dr. Jackson, like kind of transitioning from the true medical practitioner into now actually becoming a leader, a potentially an administrative leader, managing multiple projects, especially you know, for the past 10 months, I'm sure you would have managed a lot of you know, pandemic management um, initiatives, et cetera. Is that a big transition going from a medical practitioner to a healthcare leader, administrative leader? It really, it's a big transition, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's very, it's gradual until you make it a move of intent. Hmm. So I started out as a general surgeon, you know, rank and file general surgeon, if you will. And then I became interested in um, what some of the other surgeon leaders were doing, like sitting on certain committees, like surgery supervisory committee. Then um, I became chair of surgery at my hospital. Then um, at that point, I was about 15 years into my career and I seen a number of changes happen in healthcare while I was in practice and every single one of them seemed to add something between me and my patients. Hmm. You know, when the electronic health records came into being, um, a number of different, um, like the high tech act and uh, that's probably the biggest one. And ultimately I just, I'll share it with you. I just got fed up and I left clinical practice. And this is where, you know, it was a gradual transition and now it becomes a sharp one because I left clinical practice, decided to go back to school and get an MBA and try to find my way into healthcare administration so that I could try to make a difference and take the work, take the load off the docs that are still in practice. So that's kind of my why as far as what I'm doing now. So I kind of wanted to land in this role, but I, didn't really know how to get to this role. So I just knew I kind of, that was probably going to be an entry level job and I'd try to work my way up. And that's how it worked out. I started out as a medical director at an IPA, Independent Practice Association, mm -hmm. just doing transactional utilization management, and then got recruited by Dignity to be the physician advisor here, which is kind of the mirror image role of a medical director on the insurance side. It's doing utilization management for the hospital. And so that was a fairly easy transition. And then I reported to the chief medical officer and I learned what he did. And then when he moved on to another opportunity, I threw my hat in the ring for his job and here I am. That's it's a great story. I mean, 
especially the last thing that you said, you learned what the chief medical officer did. You wanted to do the same contribution and then you threw your hat in the ring. Um, absolutely. I, I think, I think it just reminds all of us that you have to go after the opportunities. The opportunities don't land in your plate. And especially with medical practitioners like you taking leadership roles, those things that you just mentioned, the things that come between me and my patients, they have to be resolved so that clinicians are able to practice patient care yeah. without hurdles. And with leaders like you taking up these roles, it will only get much better. Thanks for sharing that. So, so we have a large network of clinicians you know, on our platform because we connect clinicians directly to employers, try to solve the recruitment staffing problems. Majority of the times we get the questions from our clinicians like, how can I be a leader in my practice right now you know, without being titled as a leader? And what should they be doing in order to pursue more leadership roles? Like we have physicians who want to go become medical directors, who want to go become department chairs and things like that. So are there specific recommendations for them to start learning how to be a leader right during their practice and then eventually go into those leadership roles, Dr. Jackson? What I would say is, yes, you, you know, the, the most successful leadership model seems to be servant leadership. And in your day to day, do what you can to add value to others. And if you're successful at doing that, then you'll gain credibility, you'll gain trust, you'll gain um, what the field of power and influence would say, you gain informal power. Um, and it's not power over others, but it's the ability to influence others. And influence depends upon relationships with others. Develop those relationships and you'll find that you have support whenever you do want to try to influence or change something. And I think that's probably the best advice I could give because once you have that support, that trust, those relationships, if you decide that you do want to run for something like department chair, you'll find um, the votes will fall in your favor. Oh, absolutely. Well said. I want to, I want to just reminisce those three things that you mentioned just for myself, servant leadership, influence so that you can help others that is built through relationships and trust. Thank you. I think those are, those are some key points for clinicians at all levels to remember in order to become great healthcare leaders. Absolutely. Um, you also mentioned getting fed up with, with the processes, with the hurdles. <laughs> Trust me, I hear that like almost five times every day, Dr. Jack, yeah. because we work a lot with clinicians. You know, I worked a lot with uh, Dignity as well. We hear that a lot, you know, maybe because of uh, you know, the amount of time they're spending in documentation versus patient care, or, you know, they don't have enough support or, or they're being given protocols that really don't align with how they want to practice medicine. There are a lot of mm -hmm. things, as, as mm -hmm. you very well know. And I would venture to say the pandemic has only worsened people really getting frustrated, fed up, burnt out, etc. What are some of the resources that, that have helped you along the way in order to manage you know, your work, your responsibilities, and especially you know, you're an expert at pandemic management what are some of the resources that you would recommend to healthcare workers and healthcare leaders to use in order to manage with that kind of a stress? So 
Thanks for that question because that is something that I think was one of my serendipitous strengths that came out during this pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, I used to send out a newsletter every Friday after every Friday. It's called Happy Friday Docs, and it was kind of lighthearted and just kind of meant to bring closure to the week and give people mm -hmm. something to look forward to reading. It would have, you know, if we recognize a staff member for something for a job well done, we'd have a photograph of them receiving the reward, put that in the newsletter along with a quote from um, whoever recognized them. The whole thing was lighthearted and it was written in a writing style that was kind of more like weaving a story through it. Um, maybe one or two pages in length at most. And then when um, the pandemic hit, I would come into the doctor's lounge and see the news would always be on. And this is when Northern Italy was facing the catastrophic um, scene it was saying it was facing New York City. And I would walk into the doctor's lounge and they would ask, what are we doing to prepare for this? This is gonna be us next week. And I kind of knew it wouldn't be, but um, Sacramento, we got hit, but not as bad as a lot of other places. Um, the main point is anxiety was high. Mm. And I thought my job here is going to be to mitigate this anxiety. How do I do that? And when the pandemic hit and we had to prepare for it as an operational team, executive team, our routine meetings just fell off our calendars so that we could concentrate on COVID and, and how we were going to keep people safe and especially in the face of PPE shortages and all of that. So in time not spent doing that, I spent as much time as I could educating myself on this virus. How does it spread? It's epidemiology, you know, whatever we knew there was, and then there was, as we evolved through it, there was bad science, I think we all know, and a lot of misinformation and so I saw it as my job to kind of sort through all of that, get the real story. And I would my, change my newsletter into a COVID information source um, that debunked misinformation, um, debunked bad science. I wrote it in a, with a tone of calm perspective that this is real, but let's not get worked up over it. Hmm. Use your head keep your cool, we'll get through this. And I kept the same writing style, kind of a, a, a lighthearted story weaving through it. And it was turned out to be very well received. I would get two or three emails a week in reply back, thanking me for them. What a valuable resource it's been for them and even managing the staff in their offices and their anxieties. And so I think the takeaway is communicate, communicate, communicate and don't be afraid to over communicate sometimes as rules were changing frequently or guidance was changing frequently i would send out three of these a week um then when things kind of stabilized i went back the fr every friday cadence but um if something new came out the middle of the week i don't think twice about sending something out on monday or tuesday that's great it's such a smart idea that it was to convert your newsletter into a COVID information source. Um, and absolutely well said. You know, somebody once told me very early in my career, you can never over communicate, over educate, or overdress. So yeah, remember, remember all three of those three of those things. So absolutely, I think, and especially like you said, for healthcare workers and 
you know, even even the general public, to have information coming from a medical practitioner and a healthcare leader directly verified, vetted that they can really believe in, trust, have trust in, you know, would have absolutely gone a long way, and it, I'm sure it went a long way in helping them manage their anxiety levels. So that, that was a smart idea. Thanks for doing that. In the era of this social media, I mean, you're very active on, on social media. In the era of this social media where we are bombarded with information, right? I mean, from all sources, you, know, you talk about social media, there are like five, six channels and there is you know, general information available on the web, etc. How did you make sure that this got widely circulated, that you know this, this was really adopted in a way that it was supposed to be adopted? Because the reason I ask this question is, we try to do the same thing. A lot of the clinicians in our network have tried to do the same thing, kind of spread information that they know is verified, vetted to the to the people that they know. What recommendations would you give so that they can circulate it in the right way and get it adopted in the right way, especially in the era of the social media? So are you speaking about um, getting this information out through social media or? Yeah, what, what channels did you use to get your information out? Oh, I see. Um, so what I did for our physicians, it was just an email blast. Okay. Um, as far as social media goes, you know, I, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. um, less so on Facebook, um, YouTube. I just have some videos of my guitar playing. Um, but on LinkedIn, what I found is, you know, if you want to get information out there, it's the same thing. You have to try to develop a network. And it's the same thing with the medical staff and, and the influence that you have to have is you have to be develop credibility. You have to develop um, trust with others. And, you know, in short, I learned in a leadership course, it's about developing a personal brand and a brand that others can relate with. And yeah. I found, at least for me, responding thoughtfully to posts of others if they resonate you know it's, it's got to be real it's got to be something that you truly believe in um and not something like just great post you know just something that really thoughtful maybe a powerful question um and then when you engage in the posts of others when you put something up they're more likely to engage with your posts and what you put up there has got to be real. It's got to be factual. It's got to be something that others can relate to. And I seem to have developed a, a, a nice network of individuals who um, we interact with each other. And you kind of don't have to find your pod. Your pod will find you. That's well said. That's absolutely well said. Yeah. It's a great point. You know, make it real, make it factual, make it relevant. The pod will find you. That's yeah. uh, that's that's very well said. I mean, we are pretty much trying to do the same thing. Great, great. Um, you did mention your YouTube videos. I want to go there, Dr. Jackson. Your Doc and Rock channel. Please tell us. <laughs> please tell us a little bit about it. You know, I'm all about you got to do what you got to do so that you feel energized, refreshed, so that you can go contribute more to the communities around you. So tell us more about your channel. How does that energize you? So I started playing guitar, rock guitar, back when I was a freshman in college. 
and <laughs> you got that up there. Yeah. And and um and when I was in grad school um, back in the early '90s, I played in a couple of bands on the side. And then as I left grad school and went to finish medical school and then residency in general surgery, there was very little time to, obviously no time for a band, at least for me. Um, but I continued playing in my spare time. And as I went through my career again, obviously no time for a band, continued to play. And then around 2015, I started, um, I found some backing tracks on YouTube and it was all the elements of a band minus the lead guitar, which was perfect for me because it was, it gave me the same feeling that I had back when I played in a band. And then I started recording some of these when I came up with some things that I liked. And over the course of f six years now, I've got about 44 videos that I've put up there ranging in length for a minute to about eight minutes of, of um, improvisational guitar. And this is my way of kind of unwinding on the weekend or in the evening after work and um, different styles of music, mostly some, some genre of rock, but yeah. That's it's just, awesome. It's my way of decompressing. That's awesome. That's great. I have a good friend who is a, a VP of emergency services, but also a stand-up comedian. Ah. He actually does shows for his staff and all of his shows are based on things that happen in, a, in an ED. He's hilarious. He's great. And he tells me the same thing. He's like, that's my way of decompressing and like giving something else for me to connect with my staff. So do you like invite the people that work with you to your shows? Do they see you perform? Do, do that do or, yeah. Do, do you like invite people to your shows or do you have, you have professional shows right now going on or is more like recording and putting it on your channel? It's just recording and putting it on my channel. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. We'd love to see you kind of, do some professional shows as well. That'll be great. But but yeah, I think it's the best way to decompress. Music is the best way to decompress. Um, thanks for sharing about that. Um, last question, Dr. Jackson. I know your time is uh, extremely valuable to the operations that you support. But last question, um, again, especially for all the clinician network that we have out there and everybody watching and everybody that would get the video here. Tell us, you know, in a few sentences, what inspires you every day? You know, you did mention about your servant leadership model, your relationships and then be factual be real be relevant you know all of that is great in addition to all of that that you do what actually inspires you on a daily basis to keep going despite the challenges that are thrown at you so i think the first thing that comes to mind is the my executive team the team i work with um they all embrace servant leadership we we mesh well together as a team and when we, our work product, when we come up with something is generally greater than the sum of its individual parts. And to me, that kind of defines me a team. We have mutual trust and accountability. The other thing that inspires me is the work that our medical staff and nurses and respiratory therapists and environmental services individuals all do on a daily basis to take care of the patients who come into our hospital. And you know, I'm not in clinical practice anymore, but I do everything I can to support them, to help grease the skids for them, to recognize them when a job's well done, and to um, be responsible for their well-being and for their wellness. And 
I'd have to say those are probably my biggest inspirations in the morning. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Jackson. I think I'll remember this thing, which is if you have a good team, the output is greater than the sum of the individuals. Yeah. It's well said. And, and for all out there, what you just said, which is your responsibility for the well-being of your team takes you forward every day. I think that's the reason why we are all here with the hope of everything coming back to normal because of the responsibility leaders like you have assumed. Thank you so much for what you do, Dr. Jackson, and thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you. We appreciate your time. And we would love to be in touch and make sure to bring many more of your stories out to our network. Vamshi, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Raj, 